Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Thursday, September 14th, 2023. This is Mike Abadir, of course, and this is the Mike Abadir Show with Pop DiBiase. You know, in the in the opener there, Pop, which we still need to get your name in, um, he says we got all the bases covered. It's kind of a play on baseball, right? <laughs> the, the Red Sox do not have all their bases covered, and I am pissed today. And I want to start with venting, if that's okay with you, Pop, because I am livid that they gave so much control to Mr. Bloom, the president of baseball operations. He got rid of Mookie Betts, didn't re-sign Xander Bogarts, let him go to the Padres. He reluctantly or took too long to sign Devers. His commitment and the commitment that the team had in him was hey this is our guy this is our theo epstein this is our dave dombrowski who got fired so that they could hire cheyenne bloom and then they get rid of him like yeah they won a world series recently but it's almost like first place or last place for the red sox over the last few years and as long as we're competitive, we're, we're right there. Man, that's BS, man. I, I'm just like, they could have had a lot of their superstars and big contenders. So I'm, I'm not very happy with this move because it just, to me, it seems like a waste of four years. I don't know. You may think, well, it's good to cut your losses short. But I don't know. How do you feel about this, man? Um, I would say that this is probably a move that was the correct move because he's made a lot of – moves that were supposed to be price cutting and things of that nature and sometimes those GMs did their job that they were supposed to do because the owner just doesn't want to look like the bad guy so he's going to scapegoat the general manager to play it cheap and that's exactly what the uh, Red Sox did the Red Sox had to shrink payroll and not increase payroll because they said we're not going to try to compete with the Yankees anymore on trying to go a uh, million, a hundred million for a hundred million. No, we don't want to do that anymore. We want to develop the team from the farm system on up, so then we can have these homegrown players, so then they can make uh, a real impact on our community moving forward. And that's exactly what the thinking of, is of the owner. He doesn't have to come out and say that. So what happens is you have to have a lame duck scapegoat for um, the general manager. You're going to put him in charge of everything because he knows how to play it cheap. And that's exactly what he did. But he gave Boston enough players to where they have uh, something to build on for the long-term future. They have a manager in place that's one of the best managers in all of baseball. All it's going to take is a great winner, and your Red Sox will be back on the MLB radar. Okay, but let me ask you a question. In your estimation, who is – the more successful franchise, the Padres or the Red Sox? The Red Sox by Red Sox. Uh, by Red a mile, Sox right? By 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 a country mile, dude. That's okay. not even 
It's not even okay, hard who, to answer. Who's, who's more popular around the country, the Red Sox or the Padres? I would say it would be the Padres right now because they have the they have the I would call them the Mr. Burns All Star team. No, well, I guess I'm kind of asking like when you go like on the road, Red Sox fans are filling stadiums like in Tampa and in other locations. Do the Padres do oh, that? Oh, the Red Sox are the Red Sox and Padres. When you when it's Red Sox and Padres, come on, Mike. You know what okay. the answer is. It's Red Sox Nation all day. The Padres are literally a regional team. You know that, okay. man. Come on. Regional's on, fourth regional on Fox, bro. Okay. That's the point that I'm getting at. How the hell can the Padres afford Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Tatis, huge signing of Xander Bogarts, you Darvish, and the Red Sox can't afford Mookie Betts, Devers, and Xander? Well, it's because their owner wish he owned the Dodgers. So he wants to emulate everything the Dodgers are doing. And he made a bad and he made a terrible mistake by doing that. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like the Padres, they I know they make less money than the Red Sox. The Red Sox and the Yankees are the two highest, and the Dodgers are, you know, they're the two or three highest grossing teams in MLB. Fenway Park is almost always sold out, even if it's a bad team. You have a lot of tourists and visitors, and it's it's a novelty stadium, you know, one of the oldest, if not the oldest stadium in the league. They're almost always competitive. You know, they're usually a playoff team. They've won a bunch of World Series in the 2000s. And to me, it just doesn't make sense. They had a homegrown superstar who's probably going to get MVP for the Dodgers this year. So... I guess I'm bent out of shape about the hire in the first place and the fire is what's making it my like anger and frustration come out. Does that make sense? Right. Because you know what? You being angry is about a million other Red Sox nation fans being angry because if they can recognize what's going on and you can recognize what's going on, then that's exactly what the feeling is of Red Sox nation. You feel a little cheated. Right. Now, I'm going to stick to the theme of of anger. It's kind of fake anger this go around because more fantasy football. Uh, But as an NFL fan, how about the crappy performances in week one from megastar quarterbacks? I mean, Joe Burrow was an absolute dud. Lamar was a dud. I could go on and on. There, you know, maybe Brock Purdy was the most efficient in, in the league <laughs> this past week. You know, Kirk Cousins wasn't great. Uh, Josh Allen turned over the ball four times. You know, we can go down the list. It really wasn't pretty. Uh, is it just week one rust? Is it, hey, we've had a whole summer to game plan for game one and to stop Josh Allen or to stop Joe Burrow? or just, I know there was rain in Cleveland, and I know that you are big on Cleveland. We could get to that in a little bit. But what's your opinion of the week one play of quarterbacks, especially the big name guys? Well, it just shows that these guys need to get back to playing preseason games. It's okay to play a it's okay to play a drive. It's okay to play two drives. It's okay to play a quarter. Just get on out there and get yourself assimilated back to 
professional football because you just can't pick it up where you left off at when you're walking into game one and you haven't stepped on the field for preseason. Yeah, being at practice is one thing, but being in the actual game, that's a little different. Yes, I know you want to protect your guys. You want to do this. You want to do that. But, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, you can throw them out there in week one and uh, tear the Achilles. You saw what just happened to Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, like, I will say this. It's like it's it's just like horse racing when you have a maiden uh race. You know what? This horse is uh is mixed with Bolt Dioro and 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 Songbird and it, it cost two point five million, but it finished last place. Why? Because the horse just needed a race. And I'm going to go back with that same analogy that it has to, to go with these quarterbacks. They just needed a game. They just so needed, they looked on tape. So it's it's the rest factor. You you think it just re- rusty? They need more reps. You know they'll be fine, which I do think they're going to be fine. But that this is more uh, due to lack of professional snaps. lack of rest. Yeah, lack you of rest. And the defense being ahead of the offense. It's the old, it's the oldest game in the in football. Now there was a uh, a performance which I thought was very very good. Uh, it didn't necessarily get a lot of love out there, but I was pretty impressed with Carr's first game. He first of all, there's almost nobody that throws a prettier deep pass than Derek Carr, and he's got a lot of moving parts there with the Saints, right? He's without the superstar running back, Alvin Kamara, who's lost a step, but he's still a great playmaker. You know, he just got back Michael Thomas, who's been out for like three years. Uh, His running backs are kind of depleted. Uh, A lot of them are banged up or injured. And this is his first time stepping on the field. You know, you're talking about rust. He, He would have the excuse of rust and coming in to play for a brand new team, a new playbook, new environment. And I thought he did really, really well, man. Besides getting the W, I mean, when you look at his stat line, it was pretty good. I was impressed by it. I, I, don't, I don't know if you were as impressed as I was. What say you? It was just another great stat game for Derek Carr, but there were a lot of things that I saw that a lot of fans and a lot of critics of Derek Carr called out that, I didn't want to, you know, admit to, but, you know, they should have scored way more points than they did because I saw them get them down there to the goal line a few times and they just couldn't connect. And that used to be the same issue with the Raiders as well, too. And so it's like, Derek, what are we doing here, man? Sometimes it's just like, okay, stop being so cute. Stop being so fine. If you got an open path to the end zone, just run in. If ain't nobody open, that means you can run in. Go ahead. But I know... Things look different on TV, and that's one thing I know that us fans get mixed up. That we think that something is is there that they're they don't not hitting the hole right. They're not doing this right, but really that's an illusion, and we don't know that because we're not in the game. So I think that he just played it safe so he wouldn't get questioned after the game because. You know, he was trying not to throw a pick in the end zone. He wasn't trying to turn over the ball in the red zone. And, you know, he feels like, you know, with Dennis Allen doesn't care. As long as we can get the points, let's just move on. Because that's a defensive coach's mentality. Now, offensive coach would have been able to figure out how to get this guy a touchdown. 
how to get these guys in the end zone. But Mike brought up a good point when we were going back and forth on Sunday. Lack of run game really messed them up as well, too. They signed Jamal Williams to be a goal line back, and he couldn't do anything for him this week. But that's because that offensive line is much different from the offensive line that's in Detroit. So, you know, that's just a week one game that was a tough game that really could have went any any way it wanted to go. I think that they kind of oversold the Saints when you really look at it. And, you know, the Titans had a great effort, and they're one of the tougher uh, defenses in the NFL. So, you know, that was a good game for a guy who just came out of a really bad situation. Well, the team, that uh, the unit that deserves total credit is – the Saints' defense. I'm going to get to that in one second. Jamal Williams is most effective when he's got another threat in the backfield or rotation like Swift last year, right? Then Jamal Williams becomes like a secret weapon. And he led the league in touchdowns last year, double-digit touchdowns, because he it was like one and one in. So I don't think he's going to be like 100 yard back at all until Kamara comes. He might not even score that many touchdowns until Kamara comes. But when Kamara comes and he, everybody starts keying in on him, Jamal Williams could be most effective in that scenario, in my opinion. Now, the defense. I thought the defense was fantastic for the Saints. They sat Tannehill three times, three interceptions. They didn't allow uh, a touchdown at all in the game. It was five field goals. That's all they yielded. Tannehill threw for under 200 yards. Derrick Henry, under 65 yards rushing. All in all, tremendous performance by the defense. The defense is what won them the game more than anything offensively. But they got the W. It was a good week one for Carr and the Saints to build off of. But I think their offense can be explosive. And I'm going to eat crow about Carr if they don't, like, start putting up, like, 28 points, 31 points, et cetera, because I think they have the capabilities to, especially with Michael Thomas, who at one point could claim that he was the best receiver in the league. And Chris uh, Olay, is it Olay? I always mess up the pronunciation. Olave, he's, I mean, he's, like, one of the more up-and-coming youngsters from last year's group. So, you know, even until they get Kamara, they should be scoring more. But once they get him, my expectation level is going to be through the roof. And, hey, let's get the ball to your big tight end. Yeah, Jimmy Graham's older, but he's such a big target. He's got good hands. Let's spread it out a little bit. That's kind of my take overall on the Saints. I got to give props to the special teams unit. They made the right call by moving off of uh, Lutz. hate to say it because I like the guy. Uh, we've had him on the show before, but Will Lutz, he, he, uh, I'm not laughing about this, but he missed his very first extra point with the Broncos. Not a good way to, uh, you know, connect with the fans on the very first try. But uh, the, the kid that the Saints hung on to, he looked pretty good. He made everything that he was asked to do because he's the, he has the best long snapper in the league and Zach Wood snapping the ball to him. Right. So anyways, uh, that's my take on the Saints and and, uh, Tennessee in week one. I do think Tennessee, because of what you said, because their defense is going to be a force. How about let's before we get to the break here, 
I want to let you kind of like uh, proudly analyze the Cleveland Browns game because this is a team that you were super high on in our preview show. They came out and they beat one of the biggest uh, uh, Super Bowl kind of contenders, if you will, with the Cincinnati Bengals. And they, it wasn't just that they won the game, Pop. They beat them down. That offense yeah. looked anemic, anemic with superstar receivers, with Mixon, Burrow. They shut them down. They took full advantage of the bad weather. They each had to deal with bad weather, but one team stuck it to the other team. Well, I'll just say this. The Browns play the the right type of game that you play against a team that has a quarterback that just became the number one rated money man in the NFL. And usually when they give you the biggest check in the NFL, you usually don't have a great game, especially when you've been sitting out the whole preseason, all that good stuff. And you know what the 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 main thing was was the Browns defense and the front seven. You know, you've always the Browns have always been able to have a a decent front seven, and then they've been able to be blessed with some good pass rushers, and then they were able to draft Garrett Miles uh, almost a decade ago, and that guy has became you know pretty much the the pillar of the change in Cleveland of the attitude from being super mediocre to being where they're at now. And I think that it all starts with him. And he was absolutely vital in making sure, you know, he had his presence felt with getting a sack on Joe Burrow. So I felt like by him having finally the secondary that can cover, it really helped him out. And then he has some really good, teammates with them as well too in that front seven that are are all high energy high high on winning and you know Jim Schwartz is in heaven right now because this is the perfect type of defense for him to coach up and that's exactly what the Browns needed they needed somebody to lead one of these units without always putting everything on the head coach and that's exactly what I saw on Sunday with the Browns, and it was just absolutely incredible in that they could go ahead and make the mistakes on offense and then make up for that, you know, with the defense. So the no Browns doubt, no only have a complete it. unit, yes. And no, I know. No doubt about it. I was, was going to say, no doubt about it. The Browns' uh, defense looks to be maybe even Super Bowl worthy. I know that's crazy talk after week one. But they are that talented on the defensive side of the ball. Let's take a break, Pop. We'll come back. We'll continue talking NFL. And I have a word about Deshaun Watson before we move off of the Cleveland Browns. Stay with us, everyone. We'll be back with an action-packed next segment. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device. 
including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Second second segment with Mike Abadir and Pop DiBiase. I had mentioned something about Deshaun Watson as we were going into break, Pop, and that's all I wanted to say. I didn't think he had a very good week one. Mm-mm. Obviously, he's he, you're talking about reps and snaps. You know, he needs a lot more because, you know, he's he's basically hasn't played very much in a couple of years. With that said, even with a rusty quarterback, they won by 21 points against the team that's kind of owned the division over the last few years in the Cincinnati Bengals, the team that's supposed to be a Super Bowl contender. So I think if anything, that should give Cleveland Browns fans even that much more of a level of excitement that they can win even when – keep in mind, Deshaun was an MVP candidate just a couple of years ago. And the guy didn't get old or get injured. He had off-field stuff that derailed him. But he's still that MVP guy. He'll get back into that form sooner than people think. And I'll leave it at that with the Browns. Did you like Deshaun's performance before we move on? Move on? I'll keep it real with you. I liked it in a leadership uh, standpoint – but I didn't like it in the fact to where how he was throwing the ball because he was coming up short on a lot of throws. like And he was missing wide open throws because he was coming up short on them. And he did play two games in the preseason to try to get his reps in and all that good stuff. But I felt as the game was going along, he got better. When it was time to win the game, he was playing at his absolute best. But in the beginning of the game, no, he was not good. But he did exactly what the great ones do. It's about the way you finish, not the way you begin. Right. So there were um, there were a few matchups that weren't like that exciting on paper, right? The Commanders beating the Cardinals, uh, the Falcons beating the Panthers, um, you know, some of those type of matchups. But there are teams that have very high expectations. You know, you lose, that's one thing. But to be demoralized and destroyed is another thing, Pop. And I've identified four such games. The Cowboys 
go into the uh, Meadowlands and win by 40 against the Giants. Giants get shut out. They'll score a single point. The Seahawks, who have the best home field advantage in all of football, they got whipped up by a Ram team that pretty much everybody felt was going to be kind of like a, a seller-dweller type of team. You know, Stafford's just aging. They didn't do crap last year. They don't have a running game, and they're missing their all-pro wide receiver in Cooper Cup. And they went in there and destroyed <laughs> uh, destroyed the Seahawks, thir- <clears throat> excuse me, 30 to 13. Whipped up on them. The other game I was looking at, it wasn't – this was a whipping as well. Um, a lot of people are high on the Bears coming into this year and that Justin Fields is going to take a big step forward. The final score wasn't nearly uh, indicative of how much of an ass-kicking it was. The Packers, to my surprise, beat them 38-20 to in Chicago. Steelers, who are typically good, they got whipped up by the 49ers, 30-7. to And then we already talked about the Browns whooping up on Cincinnati. But they were the only ones that got whipped out of those that were on the road. One other home team that lost didn't get whooped up on were the Vikings, 20-17. to They lost by a field goal. That was kind of a close game throughout, but the Buccaneers were able to pull that off on the road. What to you is the biggest upset of all those? The biggest upset of the weekend was easily the the biggest upset. Well, Cowboys Giants wasn't an upset. That was just a that was just a, a misunderstanding of us thinking that the Giants were some type of team that is is playing on another level. And the Giants got punished by the football gods for overpaying uh, average quarterback and giving a Hall of Fame running back all the problems in the world to resign them. And that's what happens when you don't prioritize the best player on your roster. So that's why they got beat 40 to zip. Minnesota got beat because Minnesota is just Minnesota. That's what happens with Minnesota. And we all, and I even did a segment on it. I said, you cannot sleep on Baker Mayfield uh, playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because now he has his best receiver ever. And if he has a great receiver, he can be a good quarterback. You get my drift, uh, Mike, with that one? All yep. right. And he's a guy who's – and let's all play this game. He's went to the playoffs as well, too, and he did something that Derek Carr ain't done, won a playoff game. So you have to put that into fruition as well, too. And then we had the um, biggest upset got to be the Rams and the Seahawks because I feel bad because I dogged the Rams. I dogged the Rams in my preview of the Rams. I dogged the Rams in the preview of the game where they were like – I was like, oh, they're just going to go out here and just show up. But I knew it was going to be a tough game because it's a rivalry game. But I thought Seattle was going to do what they usually do when they play in Seattle, and that's just absolutely crush a team on opening day. But you know what? Seattle ain't been a good opening day team at home for five years. Let's just keep it real. And they're not who they used to be. You can't trust the Seattle Seahawks week in and week out. It has to be something that really has to be a matchup that you know that they can win. And they showed all of us that Geno Smith is a great story, but he is a backup for a reason. The thing is, I know Geno had a great year because he was able to take advantage of 
Lockett and Metcalf being really good, and they drew up great plays for him and didn't take him as seriously as you should have, and the running game behind him was really good. But once that running game can't do anything to help him out to open up the field, Geno Smith is very ineffective. So I say this. I think that they need to start thinking about possibly going to lock if the struggles continue for Geno, and that means the next two weeks. Oh, Quick trigger finger there after uh, 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 the best campaign of his career. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that one. To me, I think the biggest disappointment of the week was probably the Steelers at home. I'm sure in that stadium, they thought that that was going to be a close game. It was going to be their barometer for how good they are. If they could beat the 49ers, a lot of people picked the Steelers to keep it close or to cover the spread, and they just got whooped on. I mean, they were... Every phase of the game, they stuck. Defense, offense, running game, passing game. But I think the one that probably is going to bother people the most is the quarterback play. I thought that was an absolute disaster. Pickett. I even I'm in a I'm in a chat group uh, with the baseball card community, right? <laughs> and there's like a handful of guys who uh, on Twitter said Pickett. Base uh, football cards are going to be the hottest thing. This is when he's going to take a step forward. People were buying them like crazy. Now I'm not saying tear them apart and throw them in the garbage, but I'm just saying like that's got to be to me the biggest disappointment of week one. Um, you know, but I want to stick to the positives. How about the Patriots? There's no such thing as a moral victory, but they played pretty well, man. They kept that game close. And they, they limited Jalen Hurts in a big way. You know, he didn't get to 200 yards passing. He didn't get to 40 yards rushing. You know, they, they limited him. So I'm going to give props to Belichick and the Patriots. I think this team could win some games. And by the way, I'll, I'm going to close with this. Most of the matchups that we talked about were within the division, divisional matchups, right? And that's kind of why I give the props to the Patriots and I give props to the 49ers against the Steelers because these are not even conference rivals. You know, these are teams from the opposite leagues, from the opposite conferences that played really well. You know, when you look at, uh, you know, matchups like the Giants and the Cowboys, that's a division matchup. Should be close in theory, but they know each other well. The the Rams and the uh, Seahawks, they should know each other well. That type of thing. So that, to me, is kind of like the way I view week one. But I'd be remiss to move on from week one without talking about my mighty Miami Dolphins beating your Super Bowl predicted team, L.A. Chargers. Very close game. Very fun game. To me, that was the best game of week one. Both teams showed explosive offense. That was a game where you kind of felt whoever had the ball last was going to win. What are your thoughts about that game? Because Tua connected with the two big-time receivers in a big-time way. They didn't even need a running game. A um, little lackluster on defense, but both offenses showed up in a big way. What are your thoughts about that game? At some point, the haters are going to understand that Tua is a special quarterback. You know a guy is a special quarterback. When you take out your quarterback in a national championship game and you're the best team in college football, 
and he's considered the best quarterback in college football, and you take him out the game because you're losing this game, and you know you're about to lose if this guy continues in this game. And then this freshman comes in here and literally wins the game for you, throws one of the greatest passes you'll ever see to win a championship game ever in your life, and still we're talking we're talking madness about the guy. Then he just goes ahead and throws for 466, and Tyreek Hill – absolutely obliterated the uh, Chargers secondary. And, you know, as usual, Joey Bosa got a hamstring issue. So the pass rushers who are getting paid top dollar did not get home, so they did not give their secondary a chance to really cover Tyreek Hill. And so pretty much what happens is we wound up having a classic game, and when you make certain mistakes during the game, it's going to come back and bite you. And I'm going to use this game and another game because you mentioned it and I didn't piggyback off of it. But the reason why the Chargers truly lost this game was because they gave up that late penalty right before the half to get that kick out. If they don't give up that late penalty, the Chargers win the game. If you look at the Raider game, if Lutz doesn't miss that early extra point, they the game's tied. Right. They possibly win the game. So these little mistakes, these little things can be the reason why you lose a close game. It all adds up. And sometimes that's the biggest thing on the board that lost you the game. And that's what I feel like what happened to both the Broncos and the Chargers. Minimal mistakes put you in the position that you are in today, 0-1. Look, you make a good point. And obviously, I was happy that the Raiders won. Don't get me wrong. But the one thing was the reaction kind of bothered me a little bit. I, I, I you know, saw guys saying, see, this is why we got rid of Carr. You know, I'm like, Jimmy G wasn't, like, impressive or anything like that. Oh, well, we, we, we closed it out week one. Yeah, are you telling me that Carr would have lost by a point instead of winning by a point? I'm not buying it. Carr did well. I think he vindicated himself. I think he's going to have a nice season. Uh, but let's not do the comparisons because, you know, we all know Jimmy G. And Jimmy G can look brilliant on one throw and then throw it to the defense as if it looks like it's intentional on another throw. So – that's kind of my take on, on Jimmy G. But I'll tell you what, the Raiders got to be happy with Jacoby Myers. You know, it is good to have another receiver, aside from Devontae Adams, so they could spread the ball out. And that's exactly what they did. They were able to key in on Devontae, even though you can't totally stop him, right? But they, uh, they limited him to under 70 yards. Okay, great. We'll throw it to our other guy, Jacoby Myers. He had more receptions, more yards, and two touchdowns. So props to Jacoby Myers. I'd like to see the running game do a little bit better. But, hey, in mile high, it's a tough Broncos defense. You know, they, they did enough. They have a good win to build off of going into week two. And I think that's a wrap on week one, Pop, unless there's something you want to add. Um, You know what? I will say this. I will say 
one of the better performances of the week that nobody will mention because they lost and they're not supposed to have expectations this year. But give the Cardinals defense their props. Dude, they had six sacks. They didn't say anything about that, but they had six sacks, and they led most of that game as well, too. So props to the Cardinals for still fighting, and I knew that they they had some fighters there, man. That's what sometimes you just got to clear your team out of all the high-paid guys, divas and everything, and just have guys that just want to play the game. And that's exactly what the Cardinals uh, looked like this year as well, too. So much props to the Cardinals. I know nobody's going to give them no love because they didn't win the game, but they did everything possible that you need to do to win the game, and they will play one of the better defensive games than anybody um, week one. Hey, that's a good that's a good point. That's a fair analysis and uh, and fair props to give, especially too considering nobody, and I mean nobody, not even Cardinals fans knows a lot about Joshua Dobbs, the quarterback. And it wasn't necessarily a great game from a QBR or ratings perspective, but he didn't make mistakes. Didn't throw any INTs. Uh, he lost a couple fumbles, so I shouldn't say he uh, didn't make any mistakes. But, I mean, in terms of in, in his passing, he didn't make any mistakes, and they did just enough to be able to almost pull out the road victory. It'll be interesting to see if that defense is able to replicate this effort uh, going into week two. So let's take a quick time out, Pop. We'll come back. We'll talk about week two a little bit. And I want to get your take on some of these races in MLB that look like they're going to be coming down to the wire. So stay with us, everyone. We'll be back after two. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back for the final segment on the Mike Abadir Show with Pop DiBiase. There are a few teams that risk going 0-2. And as much as we all say it's early in the year, 0-2 is, is a hole in, in football. It's, it's a tough hole to climb out of. Uh, it basically means that the rest of the way out, you're going to have to win some serious games because, you know, 0-2 would be like in baseball being like 0-20 or something, right? So one of those games – because it's playing tonight, we won't spend a lot of time on it. But, hey, man, if the Eagles do what they're supposed to do at home and win, Vikings are going to be staring at 0-2. The Bengals go up against Ravens, division rival, who looked decent in week one. Lamar wasn't anything exciting, but they're, you know, they, they did blow out the Texans. So if the Ravens do their thing and they beat the Bengals, they'd be looking at 0-2. How about the Jags and the Chiefs? The Jags pull off this victory. The Chiefs are 0-2. There was one other that I identified, but I think the, the question that I had, or the Chargers, if the Titans take care of business at home, Chargers will be 0-2. Which team has the biggest, let's just say, must win, if you could say that early in this year? Like, what team do you look at and be like, man, if they're 0-2, you know, they're going to have to really, really, really nut it up because that's going to be a, a, a problem for them through the course of the season. I'm going to keep it real with you, the Chiefs. And there's a strong possibility that can happen on Sunday too because now the Chiefs are taking the role of the Patriots. They think that they're gods. They're going to do everything right. They're going to do everything great because they got the greatest quarterback to ever walk the earth for now. So pretty much – if they start off 0-2, they're going to have a lot of people saying, I don't know if the Chiefs are going to be back to getting to any Super Bowls or anything like that. They really but you know. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, but you know, the one thing that they have going for them is, you know, the Broncos are already 0-1. Uh, the Chargers are already 0-1. And the only team that won the division was the Raiders, and they weren't like necessarily world beaters in their 1-0. So I think the Chiefs at least can look at it and say, you know what, we're in a fairly easy division. Unlike the one matchup that I didn't mention about possibly going 0-2 is the Steelers playing on Monday night against the Cleveland Browns. If they go 0-2, they're in a world of trouble because that division has, you know, uh, the Browns. That would mean that they're 2-0, so they're already two games behind if the Browns beat the Steelers. Uh, The Ravens are looking pretty decent, and Cincinnati is the favorite to win the division. So a team like Steelers, I think they could be almost written off after two weeks. Dramatic, yes, but that's my feeling on uh, on the Steelers versus like the must-win aspect for the Chiefs. You know what I mean? Well, you know, I'm going to keep it real with you. The Steelers are a slow cooker anyway. I'm not worried about the Steelers starting off on two because, see, the Steelers are going to be one of the better teams second half of the season anyway. All they need to do is just be 500 by the time we get to week eight. They'll be okay. You know what I mean? But them starting off 0-2 and losing to the Browns at home, that would be kind of weird. 
and I get your get your basis with that. And I think that a lot of people will start writing them off. That's what you really want to say is that you start writing the Steelers off. You'll start writing the um, who's the other team that's that's that we, that we would you'll start writing teams like the Seahawks off if they go zero and two. Um, you'll start writing off teams like the Giants if they go zero and two as well too. Uh, because they really can't afford to lose two weeks in a row, especially after that. But one team that really, really can't afford to lose, in my opinion, because they always have so much pressure on them anyway because the media market they're in, the Chicago Bears. The Bears really do need to and I don't have them winning on Sunday, but it's a game they can win. But the Bears really do need to pick it up because the Bears always get over-criticized by everybody each week they lose. And it's going to get even worse if they start off on two. That's a great point. Yeah. So that's you know, a really good point. I just look at it, the- it's possible that they lose to the Buccaneers. That's not out of the realm of possibility on the road. Right. Right. It, it can happen because really the Bucks are the better team in this in in this game because once again, I hate to say it, they got the quarterback that has the better receiver. If you give Justin Fields Mike Evans, then it's a different story. But Baker Mayfield has Mike Evans. So one of these dudes needs to become the guy for Justin Fields. But Justin Fields made such a great throw to Mooney that I said, why do you guys worry about how well he throws the ball? The guy throws the ball beautifully. All he needs to do is these guys need to figure out how to get open. It's that simple. Makes a lot of sense to me, brother. So let's uh, let's do this. Let's talk a little bit about these pennant races, and then we'll close with your picks of the week. And I've got a pick that I absolutely love this week, but let's save that good stuff for the end of the show. Uh, look, man, the, the AL West, there was a point where people were like, man, the Rangers got this thing. And then the Astros caught up. Everybody's like, oh, the Astros, world champs, they got this thing. And then the Seattle Mariners ripped off eight wins in a row. Uh, They won whatever it was, like, you know, 18 out of 24 games. And now people are like, oh, the Mariners' momentum is going to carry them all the way to the finish line. Look where we're at now, man. That is an epic battle for the division. And it makes a big difference between a division winner and a wild card more than it used to in baseball, at least. But when you look at the standings right now, and we got, what, like 15 games left or something like that, the Astros are up by one over Texas and one and a half against Seattle. I mean, that race is phenomenal. Each team has over 80 wins, which is a better record than anybody in the American League outside of Baltimore and Tampa. How about that race, Pop? Um, You know what? I will say that that one's getting a little crazy, but I think that um, Houston is pretty much uh, strapped that thing down. When you're the really? best in the in the division, and once you get to the top of the division at this point of the year, it's tough to really give up that lead. But Seattle is so heady, man. They just figured out a way to get back into this thing. And I think at the end of the day, as me and Jeff talked about on my show earlier with the MLB pennant race um, – you really just want to get in the playoffs. We're not even worried about who wins the division. If we win the division, good. If we don't, 
you know, we're still in the playoffs, so we still got an opportunity. But Seattle has the greatest chance to win this division because they have seven games with the Rangers and they have three games with the Astros at the end of the year. Their final 10 games are between those two are with those two clubs. So Seattle has the opportunity to win the division at the end of the year. And Houston has the opportunity to lock down the division and Texas has the opportunity to win the division. So this three headed race is going to be a blanket finish. That's all I can say. You know, it looks like it's very well, uh, po very possible that all three teams are going to make the playoffs. You know, two as wild cards and one as a division winner, obviously. Um, and right now, if the season ended today, that's how it would shape up. The only one with a realistic chance or any chance, really, to derail them would be Toronto. If, uh, if they're able to, you know, have a better record over the last 15 games, uh, then they're in because they're just a game behind. Um, the Red Sox would be the next team, but seven games, hey, that's too far to make up. You know, you're going to have to make up a game every other day in the standings. Has it happened before in history? Yes, it has, but it's very unlikely. So really, we're talking about three out of those four teams are going to be in the playoffs between the AL West teams and the Toronto Blue Jays. Moving over to the National League, the wild card has some intrigue in it. Why do I say that? Well, the Philadelphia Phillies, they've come on strong. I know you've been uh, high on them from way back. The Cubs kind of came out of nowhere, and they look like they're going to have the spot. But the next spot, man, you have the Giants, the Reds, and the Arizona Diamondbacks all tied. They're all tied for the next division spot. And the Marlins only half game behind. So we're talking four teams vying for one spot. That's what a race is all about, man. Now, the Giants and, and the Diamondbacks can kind of knock each other out a little bit because they're playing against one another. So whoever wins those games against one another is going to have a leg up on the other one. But, man, Cincinnati, Miami, there's only one spot they could snag. Who gets it? I think that it's going to wind up being – I think it's going to really wind up being Arizona at the end of the day because Arizona is just like a – is like a a, a good up-and-coming racehorse. They, they got a target to run at, and it's like they train every morning with the Dodgers, and they want to be like the Dodgers, and the Dodgers have motivated them to keep going. That's the whole thing. That opening two – that opening uh, 10 days for the – the Diamondbacks was the most important 10 days that team has had in the last 20 years because they're going to be a long-term good team in this league, in my opinion, because they have the talent to move forward with. They got all-stars on that team. They got good pitching on that team. And it's just a team that's on the way up. So they're going to have to go through the rites of passage to get to where they need to get to. But I think Arizona actually is uh, actually takes care of this thing and they get the final wild card spot. I already got the Cubs in because the Cubs playing great baseball and the networks need them for the TV of the playoffs. You need the Cub Cubbies in. You need them there because you're not going to have either one of the New York teams there. Right. And, and I'm assuming that the Cubs are going to hang on. They're two and a half games up and uh, they haven't showed, uh, you know, necessarily a sign of a big losing streak in them. Although they have lost the last two in a row, 
but they're still comfortably ahead. Two and a half games is, is big in baseball at this stage of the year. I'm going to take the Giants. And the reason I'm going to take the Giants is because out of the teams that remain, they have the best pitching staff. They have the best run differential. And they have some guys with experience. It wasn't that long ago that this team won 107 games, Pop. A lot of the guys that were there are still there. I know they don't have Buster Posey. But nonetheless, I think that's the team. Cincinnati's a little bit young. Arizona's a little bit young. Miami's a little bit young. I think all these teams will take a step forward next year. But it's that Giants pitching staff that's kept them in the race all year. I think that's what's going to carry forward. And when you're talking about ratings, think about that. If you have Philadelphia on the coast, the Cubs in the middle of America, and the Giants on the West Coast, that's a pretty good wild card coverage there in terms of teams that are involved that are going to be able to face, unfortunately, powers like the Atlanta Braves, the Dodgers, and Milwaukee with their pitching staff. I guess before we move off of baseball, I'm going to say it. I think the Braves don't have any holes, any weaknesses. Maybe in their bullpen a little bit. You know, Rysel Iglesias isn't like the best closer in baseball, but that's the only weakness I could find. Do you think the Braves have any weak spots? Um, the Braves, the their only weak spot is being overconfident, in my opinion. And I think that this team is really good. But they're going to have to watch it a little bit because I didn't like the way that Alcuna was acting when he was hitting home runs in Los Angeles and, you know, doing samba moves and tech moves and all that other extra stuff that just is annoying. And I know, Mike, you love the 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 passion of the game and all that stuff, but we're playing MLB ball, bro. And you got to be a gentleman about this stuff or you're going to get beamed upside the head or get beamed upside your leg, something like that. Because Bob uh, Gibson, <laughs> wasn't going for that. Oh, yeah. No, you're 100% right, man. So um, I think that's uh, that's well said, Pop. We got about a minute and 20 seconds left. So I want to save this time for our picks. I'm going to go first because mine is quick. I love the Tennessee Titans getting three points at home against the Chargers. Chargers typically aren't a very good road team, especially when they got to travel a considerable distance. Tennessee plus three for me. What's your lock uh, or lockish plays of the week? Okay, I feel like my lock of the week, the game that you absolutely got to have, um, easy money. I would say the San Francisco 49ers and the Rams. I know I'm, 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 I'm doubling back, but I feel like the 49ers are an absolute unit right now, and I couldn't say anything about the Pittsburgh one because we had to keep moving, but they played as a team that was pissed off. That's why they beat the, beat the breaks off the Steelers. There was nothing wrong with the Steelers. The 49ers were just pissed. That's a good analysis there, folks. Those are two winners that we've got for you. I hope you capitalize. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Hope you enjoyed it. It was fast-paced, exciting, but that's the world of sports for you. Thank you for all the listeners. Thank you to Voice America. Thank you to Pop DiBiase. We'll see you. Same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.